0: I've uh, now been here together with all of you uh, at the Forest Refuge for just over a week. And as I was sitting here before the Dharma talk, um, I just have realized how sweet it is to be here together with all of you, to be able to practice together with you and to share the Dhamma. And I think that's what I want to begin with, is just thank you for your practice. It's inspiring and moving and, and such a I feel so fortunate just to to be around it, and also, I get this this wonderful opportunity to to hear many of you in the, the interviews and hear your, your um your your struggles and your insights, and it's uh, very moving. So thank you for the sharing as well. It's um, it uh, it inspires my practice. So thank you. And tonight, once again, I'd like to share with you some some reflections about about this path. And a reminder uh, that when you uh, listen to such talks, probably especially mine, is uh, you have a a duty, which is to really get a sense of uh, what is going to work for you and what doesn't work. So getting a sense of what's effective and what's not effective in terms of that is uh, and taking what's useful and leaving leaving the rest behind. I'd like to begin with a story. Once upon a time, there was this fellow, the Buddha. You'd say the Buddha of, say the Buddha Buddha of the Pali discourses, the Buddha of the middle length discourses. And before the Buddha was a Buddha, he was doing these practices, these ascetic practices, these practices, these austerities, with the thought that, oh, these, these will lead to my awakening. These will lead to my freedom to engage in these austerities. And he, he did a, a number of, of them. One was uh, taking only a little food. As he says, he says, suppose I were to take only a little food at a time, only a handful at a time of bean soup, lentil soup, or pea soup. So I took only a little food at a time, only a handful at a time, of bean soup, lentil soup, vetch soup, or pea soup, and my body became extremely emaciated. Simply from my eating so little, my my limbs became like the jointed segments of vine stems or bamboo stems. My backside became like a camel's hoof my sp- spine stood out like a string of beads my ribs jutted out like the jutting rafters of an old run down barn and the gleam of my eyes appeared to be sunk deep in my eye sockets like the gleam of water deep in a well and and after this exploration of these uh these austerities or ascetic practices he said a memory arose to him a memory came to his mind and it was the memory when he was a child sitting underneath a rose apple tree and is seeing his father out at work and while he was sitting under that rose apple tree just sitting there his mind fell into this to this state, this state of concentration, this state of samadhi. And when he had that memory, he asked himself, could that be the path to awakening? And then following on that memory came the realization, that is the path to awakening. I thought, so why am I afraid of that pleasure that has nothing to do with with entanglement, with sensuality, has nothing to do with unskillful mental qualities. I thought, I am no longer afraid of that pleasure that has nothing to do with an entanglement with sensuality, has nothing to do with unskillful mental qualities. And this was, you could say, his discovery, his discovery of the importance of samadhi. It's usually translated as concentration. We'll get into a little bit more exactly what that is and the importance of it on on the spiritual path. And in particular, right, the pleasure of that, the pleasure of a collected or concentrated mind And the reason I share with you this story is because for me, the practice of samadhi, the cultivation of samadhi is simply this movement. The movement from unskillful austerities to opening up to a wholesome pleasure. You could say a movement into ease. And you might be out there thinking, well... What austerities? You know, we're at the forest refuge. <laughs> Somebody's cooking our food. We can have three meals a day. Yet when I reflect on this archetypal story, what I realize is that I too have done austerity practices and there's some part of my mind that thinks that it's going to lead to awakening. And you might also have noticed your mind the similar austerity practices. What are the austerity practices I'm talking about what I find is the self-judgment and the criticism sometimes even when on the bad days of retreat of moving into self-hatred as if the harsh judge is, judge is going to keep me in line to get me to awakening and there's sometimes a harshness to it I can sometimes feel a tightness in my body it's that that self-criticism that's around ourselves, and then it it bleeds over, right, around our experience, or even over to others. Have you you noticed your mind ever engage in this modern austerity practice, or am I the only one? Anyone else? (laughs) A little bit? Phew, I'm not the only one. (laughs) It's good to have a little confirmation that, I don't have the only crazy mind here, maybe. And I've noticed, you know, when I when I first learned about samadhi practice, I thought it's all about getting my mind to stick on the breath or getting my mind to stick on some experience. And boy, I can tell you that did not lead <laughs> in a good direction. And when it was more about understanding this story, it was stepping out of those quote-unquote austerities of the mind and learning how to step into an ease, a relaxation and openness around the practice that the mind started to collect. And so I wanna share with you just some reflections about cultivating samadhi, this, this important aspect of the practice. And and the first thing I do wanna point out before getting into the details of it is, is to uh, really make sure to emphasize that samadhi is a tool that allows my mind to settle and collect so that I can see clearly. So it's in the service of this greater vision of what this path and this practice is about. It's in the service of awakening. So sometimes, if your mind is like mine, what can happen is that when I hear talks about samadhi, I just want those good experiences. It's like I'm looking for that hit again. (laughs) The hit of something good. But then I miss the bigger picture. So the bigger picture is really becoming curious about how my mind's relating to experience. And samadhi helps me see that, but that's really the essence. That's, that's where my freedom lies. And and samadhi is important in, in this path too. So what does this word a samadhi mean? It, it, it comes from, uh, so I've been told the the, the Pali word uh, samadati, the, the verb which is to put together or collect. So the the definition I like of samadhi is it's a mind that's collected or unified or going in that direction. The word concentration, which is usually the way it's translated, seems like it doesn't give always that flavor to it. And sometimes it can have a little bit of a, almost an effortful connotation, at least for me. So I, I think more about the mind being unified or collected or or uh, going in that direction. And the image that I found useful for this is is just the image of just taking the example of all of us in this room. So all of you are here in this room and probably most of you, maybe not all of you because I don't know, have your attention directed towards the sound of my voice. So you could say on this, if we could imagine that this room is a mind, someone's mind, it's all collected around this one experience. Now, if some of you were in the corner having a conversation while I was talking, there would still be some samadhi, because maybe maybe four or five of you having a conversation over there in the corner. But the rest of you, 20-some people, would still be collected around hearing the sound of my voice. So there'd still be pretty good quote-unquote samadhi, because most of the mind is collected. But if there was only one of you that was kind of dozing off and hearing the sound of my voice and the rest of you were having some big party, there would be very little samadhi. (laughs) And the reason I mention this is to show that samadhi is this entire spectrum. It's the spectrum of the entire room having a quality of attention around the sound of my voice all the way to to maybe just one person having uh, hearing the sound of my voice and the others having a party, there's that big range and in between is this whole range of samadhi. So tonight I wanna to talk about this entire range of, of the mind being unified around an experience. And most importantly, and I hope I remember to repeat this again and again and again, which is you are not in control of how much samadhi is arising in the mind. Again, you are not in control about how much samadhi is arising in the mind. You can influence it by cultivating certain conditions, but you can't control it. When the conditions arise, when there's this continual influencing of conditions, then that can arise more readily, but you're not in control. And when I've gotten myself burned around trying to cultivate samadhi, it's when I think I'm in control. And I wanna distinguish it from mindfulness, and this is a maybe a little bit oversimplified, but I find it helpful. So, and if you want, you don't have to, but if you were to bring your attention up here and see that I'm holding up now the striker to the bell, and you could say the the um, the qualities of mind that give rise to samadhi, a unified mind, are the qualities of mind, such as the mind being able to see the striker and to keep your attention there. Whereas mindfulness more sees that it's a striker and that it has a certain color and shape to it and that I'm moving it. So mindfulness more has is seeing these qualities, whereas the concentration or the samadhi aspects are, are allowing the mind to absorb into this object. And of course, with both sati and samadhi, mindfulness and samadhi, they're intertwined, right? It's not like we can pull them apart, but we can get a, a sense of these different flavors that are arising at times in the mind, especially when they're strong. We can get a sense of strong samadhi and strong sati or strong mindfulness. That's a little bit of a, uh, of a um, just to explain the uh, the difference in a, simple way and i want to point out that there are many many ways to cultivate samadhi to to put forth the conditions to allow the mind to collect or unify more readily around experience and i want to go over um, a few of these one is to do uh, what would be called a, a samatha practice where that is that is the intention, the main intention of the practice is just to cultivate samadhi. And usually in a samatha practice, one takes one object, one, um, one primary object of one's meditation, such as the breath or loving kindness. Loving kindness is another common one. You could also take uh, the body, maybe like the elements or one of the elements, like the, what Caroline was uh, speaking to a, few, a number of mornings ago in the, one of the morning reflections. And the practice is simplified, where the intention is to simply, for example, let's take the breath or loving kindness to feel the breath. And then it's kind of having a kind disregard for other experiences that arise and just coming back to the breath or around loving kindness, centering around loving kindness. And then when other experiences come up, more of a kind disregard for them than a a kind regard. Another way to cultivate samadhi um, is to practice in a way that leads to what's called uh, kanika samadhi. And I do want to say some of the things I'll be sharing tonight is more what I'd call commentarial. It comes from the commentaries than the Pali Canon. But the reason I use it is because I find it really helpful and practical. And kanika samadhi is something that comes out of the, the commentaries. And kanika samadhi, is the best translation is that it's momentary concentration. And it said that in insight meditation, usually probably the way that most of us have learned to do insight meditation, cultivates kanika samadhi, this momentary concentration. So it's this uh, intention to um, simply notice experience, simply to be aware of experience. So this experience arises, maybe the experience of the breath, and you're feeling the breath, and then a sound arises, so then you're with sa- hearing for a while. You come back to the breathing. The mind, of course, gets lost. You come back to the breathing. A pain in the knee happens, so you bring your attention there. And then another sensation happens, then you bring your attention there. And then emotion arises, so then you bring your attention there. And so the attention is moving all these these different places in a momentary way, but through that momentary uh, way of paying attention, samadhi is being cultivated. So basically, if you have the intention to be present, if you have the willingness to be present, that's all you need, the willingness to be present, Part of one of the things that's going to be cultivated is samadhi, however you're practicing. Whether it be a little more open, paying attention to many different things in this more this kanika samadhi frame, or having uh, having intention around uh, one experience. And also, it can be um, uh, samadhi can be cultivated around just a very small f- sensation around the breathing, or Samadhi can be cultivated around having the awareness wide open, so the kind of the quote-unquote size of of what you're paying attention to doesn't matter as well. And we'll get into a little bit kind of the flavors that make up samadhi, so we get clear about this. But you might see that the attention can be very broad or very narrow; it can be on one experience or many experiences. And in all of these ways, samadhi is being uh, cultivated. Which means that if you're here, and you're doing the practice here, inevitably, probably samadhi is being cultivated here, whether you like it or not. Unless you're, you know, secretly on your, like, smartphone doing email all day long, (laughs) then that would be a different situation. There might not be as much samadhi, (laughs) at least the kind of samadhi that we're looking for. And I want to name that uh, it's such an important quality just for our lives to be able to have the mind unified, to, to be able to, to pay attention to what's in front, of it, in front of us. And as I was mentioning, so important for our spiritual practice. When the mind is calm and collected, it can see clearly. There's a steadiness there so I can actually see what's going on in this moment. It's so essential, and I think that's why it's part of the Eightfold Path, this, this um, wise concentration. And again, not a goal in itself, but a tool, a tool that allows us to see clearly. The way I'd like to go a little bit more into this quality of samadhi to to really get a deeper understanding of it is to use another teaching, which again comes a a bit more from the commentaries, but I find it helpful, which is um, this teaching around the five jhana factors, which are these five factors of mind, quality of mind, that you could say comprise or the elements that make up the experience of samadhi. And also you can get a sense of these factors when samadhi's very light or very strong. And I, and I wanna point out, hopefully we'll do a little experiment where you'll, you'll get a, a taste of, of some of these just with a little experiment that we do tonight. So I wanna go through all of these, um, these five uh, factors. So the, the first uh, factor is uh, vitaka. And, uh, or vitaka, depending on how you pronounce the V. And, and again, this comes again for the more from the commentaries. It's something that I found helpful is that classically, you could say it's, it's defined as that quality of mind that has the ability to aim the attention in a certain direction or direct it. So for example, if I invited you to pay attention to the feeling of your feet now there's this ability to move the attention just to feel the feet now. It's that ability that the mind has that you can maybe feel right now of being able to feel the feet. It directs it down there to feeling the feet. And then the second second jhana factor, and I'm going to talk about these two together, is um, vichara or vichara. And in the context of samadhi so it's these two words of which are are used differently depending upon the context Uh, classically is um, defined as sustaining so it's the sustaining power of the mind so when i invite you to feel your feet right now there's the ability to direct the mind there but also there's the ability to keep your attention on the feeling of the feet And right there we have the first two. You have a feeling sense maybe of vitaka wichara just by feeling your feet those two activities are happening. And you might have a feeling sense of them. And they can get uh rather deep. Like when I when I get a sense of when vitaka and wichara are really uh strong, sometimes it feels like I'm feeling, for example, if I'm feeling feeling the breathing, almost from the inside, like I'm inside in there, really feeling the breath, and the breath is really, and and the attention's really sticking with the breath. Also for me, though, in terms of these first two, the vitaka vichara, this aiming and sustaining, is that those words, especially the aiming word, doesn't always work for me. So I want to point out, I'm giving you some classical definitions of these, but sometimes it's okay to change them, and they might have different flavors as you're meditating. You might get a sense of how these have different flavors as you're you're practicing. So for me, at times, the witaka quality, the aiming quality, I have to drop the idea of aiming the mind, and it has more of a sense of surrendering into an experience. Because if you tell me to aim my mind, what my mind does is it gets super tight, which is not very good, because this is all about ease and openness. And then I've missed the ease and pleasure of of samadhi. So the word surrendering might be a better word for you. You might need to change these words around. Let's go on to the the next two. I'm gonna give a general definition and then we'll uh, get in a little more detail of them. The, the next jhana factor is uh, pity. And again, sometimes uh, it's translated as rapture or rapt attention or delight or bliss. And the fourth one, and I'm gonna talk about these together, sukha. Um, and in this context, sometimes translated as pleasure or happiness, again, the word that works for me is contentment and just to give a, a a sense of how these are different an analogy that comes i think from the vasudhi maga is pity or let's say let's call it um let's call it rapt, let's call it delight pity is um would be like if you're let's say you're out in a desert you're out in a dry desert And you see on the horizon an oasis, you know, with the palm trees. And you know out there, there is an oasis with water awaiting you. And it's the delight of getting to see the oasis when you're in the desert. That delight of like, oh, there's water there. And there's a kind of, there's a bliss from that. That would be pity in a general way. And then once you've gotten to the oasis and you get a drink of water and maybe eat some fruit, maybe some pineapple or coconut or something like that and you're sitting there and there's a feeling of being satiated that is sukha. that is the contentment of arriving there so you might hear that the pity kind of has an uplifting delight to it and content and sukha sometimes has a, a settled quality quality to it often often when we're cultivating samadhi Sometimes you'll get a sense, of what's been helpful for me that I've learned from some of my teachers is, is seeing piti and sukha as one thing. Because what I notice is that when the mind gets collected, there's just a pleasurable feeling. And a lot of times that pleasurable feeling is the combination of piti and sukha together. So I'm gonna talk also about piti sukha, because I find that that's often the experience. And just to talk about it in this general way of this pleasure. And I'm going to talk about it in two ways. One, to to talk about how pleasure allows samadhi to arise. And then there's a kind of pleasure that comes out of samadhi. But let's just see if we can get, again, a taste of these first four. Actually, I'm going to boil it down to three now. So, vitaka vichara, so the mind aiming or surrendering and sustaining. And then, the piti sukha which is just a general pleasure that can come from the mind being collected and so what i'm going to do is i'm going to simply ring the bell and the first thing i'd like you to do is just to see if you can get a sense of noticing what it feels like for the mind to surrender to the 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 sound of the bell collecting around it and also sustaining that just resting in that so it might be more the words of surrendering and resting or the words of aiming and sustaining. So let's just see if we can get a feeling sense again of just those first two jhana factors. you might have had that sense that feeling sense of the direct experience of vitakka vichara that's all it is is starting to get a feeling sense of how the mind can collect around an experience like that with the aiming and sustaining and you might this next time and might not because sometimes this takes a, a, a kind of continuity sometimes you can get a sense even with the bell a sense of even subtle pleasure that can arise from just hanging out with an experience. So it's not the pleasure of maybe the sound of the bell, it's the pleasure of hanging out, is the way I call it, which would be the beginnings of this piti sukha. So again, you might wanna just become curious of if there's a feeling sense, just of a little bit of the pleasure that arises out of hanging out with the sound of the bell. so you get some kind of feeling sense of viṭaka vichara and the pleasure that's there it's right there right so so i just want to point out that samadhi is not some kind of mysterious thing out there you can get a taste of it it's it's right here we've just explored these these first four factors i find for my own practice i find it so great just to sometimes come back to these just these, and we'll get to the fifth one, these factors, to get a feeling sense of how they are during the retreat, sometimes when they're weak or they're strong. So it's a real curiosity about these because sometimes they have different nuances as the practice unfolds. It seems like there's a whole variety of flavors that can arise just around a Wichara, for example. And then it will get clear about these different flavors around the piti and the sukha. So I wanna speak more about um, this piti and the uh, sukha, the uh, the the delight and the happiness or contentment, the piti sukha and what, the way I'm talking about it is just the pleasure. And I wanna first talk about it as a foundation for samadhi and I think this is really important. For example, it says that the proximate cause for samadhi is happiness. You can say happiness that's around pleasure. And what I noticed for me to cultivate samadhi is I needed to have the skill to open up to pleasant experiences. So sometimes what I find so helpful is can I open up, for example, to the pleasure of the breathing? Or how the pleasure of the sensations that I'm feeling while walking? and learning how to really savor that rather than gr- grasp it. And what I notice here at The Forest Refuge is there's so many pleasurable experiences that I can open up to. And I wanna point out, it can be tricky to open up to this kind of happiness, to really ease into it. There's a poem by Alison Luderman that really speaks to this. She says, I'm scared to confess to happiness. I love that first line. I'm scared. I'm scared to confess to happiness. I know the jealous fates in their dolorous heaven, how they love to feast on the heart. I know they've already marked the spot where one of us dies and the other stands open-mouthed and uncomprehending as dirt closes over our one song. But for just this moment, I want what I have. I feel like that's part of the practice, at least it has been for me, is to... um, to play that edge, to open up to happiness. And it's it's difficult because you might notice sometimes there's something scary to confess to happiness, to confess to open to a pleasurable experience. We can sometimes tighten rather than ease. So I need to practice it. And I feel like she gives us the gateway, right? That last line, the turn in the poem. But in this moment, I want what I have. Just that, that sense of contentment. I want what I have. That this moment is enough right now. And to me, this is so important around cultivating samadhi because to me, the big hook around cultivating concentration or samadhi is I want it. Like, I want more of it. And if I get some of it, then I want some more of it. Have you ever had that sense where your mind feels nice and collected and calm, and it's like, ooh. Maybe next day I'll sit a little bit longer so you get a little more of that. And then a little bit more. So I just want to point out, that's called wanting. Which equals dukkha. And boy, so much of the samadhi practice for me is becoming sensitive to wanting. I need to be really, I, get to, I need to get to know wanting so well. And the way I've gotten to know wanting so well is through a samadhi practice. So even if your mind doesn't collect and you get to know wanting, I want to say that's an excellent samadhi practice. Because once I start to really get, a, get to know it and sense it, then there can be a letting go around this, where I can start to enter into this world of just wanting what I have, just that this moment is enough. Because maybe you're like me. I, I was brought up in a society that I gotta work for things. And that means I have to work for concentration, I gotta work for samadhi. That didn't get me very far. It needs my ease and an open heartedness. I need to let go of that austerity. And some of it is to really confess to happiness. And and I wanna point out that it isn't just because you know, we, we're brought up in a, maybe some of us in a society that feels like we have to work all the time. But some of it is physiological, and this is why pleasure is so important, is that um, if you have a system, like mine has been at, 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 at certain times, where it, there, there can be an habitual tendency to have a subtle threat response going on in our system where there's a subtle amount of anxiety, um, what, what happens is our system can't settle because it doesn't feel quite completely safe enough to. And it can be habitual that we feel like that's where I'm safe if I'm just a little bit on edge, a little bit hypervigilant rather than vigilant. And what pleasure does to the system is it's basically front-loading it, saying, it's actually okay right now. Because for my system to take in pleasure fully, it has to feel safe and settled. Which makes sense, right? If I'm being chased by a mountain lion, it's not the time to smell the flowers. And my system, my physiology knows that. It's not going to allow pleasure in because it's trying to keep me protected. And so when you start to explore the world of pleasure, it can start to allow the system to begin to let go of that habitual tendency it's one way so this is really important about being in the world and it's important around this this quality of, of samadhi and i want to point out this is a training it's still something i'm really working on i'm really exploring opening up to and around the savoring the pleasant what am i going to say you can't control it you don't have a choice of how much pleasant vedana or pleasant experience you're going to get in one day. I mean, if you did, you probably wouldn't have to practice, right? You just pump up the pleasure every day. (laughs) You don't get to choose. You don't have control over that. But when a pleasure arises, when something pleasant arises, you you can influence being with it rather than shutting it down or, or closing around it. And then you might find, as we did with the bell, that when the mind begins to settle, that that there is a kind of pleasure that arises from being collected around an experience. And that's gonna be these these particular flavors of pleasure, of piti and sukha. And then number five, the fifth jhonic factor, ekagata, and this is classically Translated as one-pointedness. So for me, it has more of a sense of the unification of the mind, so it's very synonymous just with the word samadhi. And what you might find when the mind is really hanging out with an experience over time, what starts to happen is this feeling, sense of really the mind being unified around that experience. There's no part left out. There's There's no party in the back room. Everybody's here in the mind, in the heart, around that experience. And sometimes it has a secluded quality to it. And you might find there's a kind of further refinement of the contentment and steadiness of the mind when, when a is there. It's the all-collected-around-an-experience feeling. So I wanna point out that the biggest part of cultivating samadhi, this is really important. If you remember just one thing from my talk, it would be this, is that my skill in what is disrupting the mind, what's making the party in the back room happen, my skill in navigating those disruptions is the heart of cultivating samadhi. And a lot of it is not being as disrupted by the disruptions of the mind. The, th- the things that you feel like are taking your mind away from being collected are the heart of your practice. And when you gain skill around those, that's what leads to samadhi. One poem that I think exemplifies this, that really expresses this. Again, another poem by uh, Alison Litterman. She begins, let me just give a the, the little bit of the background of this poem. So you have to imagine that you're at a, uh, a public swimming pool, swimming laps. So this is kind of the setting of this poem. She says, try to love everything that gets in your way. The Chinese women in flowered bathing caps murmuring together in Mandarin doing leg exercises in your lane while you execute 36 furious laps, one for every item on your to-do list. The heavy-bellied man who goes thrashing through the water like a horse with a harpoon stuck in its side whose breathless tsunamis rock you from your course. Teachers all... Learn to be small and swim through obstacles like a minnow without grudges or memory. Dart toward your goal, sperm to egg. Thinking obstacle is just another obstacle. Try to love the teenage girl idly lounging against the ladder, showing off her new tattoo, cette vie est la mienne, life is mine, in the thick blue-black letters in her ivory instep. Be glad she'll have to look at it all her life and keep going, keep going. Swim by an uncle in the lane next to yours who is teaching his nephew to hold his breath underwater, even though kids aren't allowed at this hour. Someday, years from now, this boy who's kicking and flailing in the exact place you want to touch and turn will be a young man at a wedding on a boat raising a champagne glass and a toast when a huge wave hits, washing everyone overboard. (laughs) (laughs) He'll come up coughing, spitting like he is now, but he'll come up like a cork, alive. So your moment of impatience must bow in service to a larger story because if something is in your way, it is going your way. The way of all beings towards darkness, towards light. Can you remember that if something is in your way, it is going your way? If something's disrupting your samadhi, that is the gateway to deeper samadhi, is your ability to be with that, to open to that, to be present to that. That's my biggest hook around cultivating samadhi is, damn it, (laughs) this shouldn't be happening, and the fight around that. Just remembering that, the essential piece. If something's in your way, it, it's going your way. It is part of the unfolding of your path. Another thing that I think it's important to remember, this is important to remember for Whatever I'm sharing when I'm up here. You might have noticed, and again, I don't know, you know, my, my mind is like this, your mind may or may not be, but meditation is such a messy thing. It is so damn messy. What used to confuse me, I would come, come to the Dharma talk, the Dhamma talk, and I'd hear these kind of clear instructions about what you're supposed to be doing, how the practice is supposed to unfold, My meditation practice never feels like that. It's always much, much messier and chaotic and crazy. So if you have a mind like mine, I just want to normalize that. (laughs) And I just want to say that's the world of samadhi. Because it's just a mess in there. But you might find in the mess, in the kind of place in the intention to allow the mind to collect a little more collecting can happen, but it's helpful to remember the messiness. Is it maybe just a few other things. One of the other things I, I like to point out about uh, the cultivation of this quality of mind, which is really, really samadhi is just these five jhana factors that I went over. They're just It's just those getting very stronger and being there. That's all samadhi is, is these five qualities of heart and mind coming together in this particular way. And that's the experience of samadhi. That's why it's it can be helpful to become familiar with these five qualities, the vitaka, vichara, the aiming and sustaining the pity and the sukha, the delight and the contentment, and the akagata, the kind of unification of the mind. Because then when your mind is settled around an experience, you can start to become sensitive to these different flavors. That's the training in samadhi. But also, I want to point out that some individuals have a propensity towards strong samadhi, and some people don't. And if your mind has a propensity to samadhi, it doesn't mean that you're special and unique or closer to awakening. And if your mind does not have a propensity towards samadhi, it doesn't mean that you're farther away from awakening. Individuals are different. Some people have a propensity towards kindness. Other peoples have a, have a, have a heart and mind that has a propensity towards compassion or towards strong mindfulness some towards equanimity or patience so it's just important to re- remember that whenever we're cultivating anything and then lastly i think for me the it's it's in this cultivation that i also got to learn about surrender surrendering to the unfolding of the practice. Sometimes surrendering to experience is sometimes a word that works better for me than even cultivation. Yeah, so may your cultivation and exploration of samadhi um, lead to the liberation of all beings, thank you